Good evening. You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. My name is Claudio Mendonca. It's 6 p.m., and it's time for KVMR's Evening News. Tonight, following the national headlines and KQED's California report, we bring you regional news and weather, this week's edition of Bravehearts, and we close with an essay by Molly Fisk. For their support of community radio, we'd like to thank A to Z Hardware Supply and Garden Center, locally owned since 1984, offering household, construction essentials, plus April's Garden, a memorial lawn and garden nursery for all seasons with beekeeping and canning supplies. Ridge Road, Grass Valley, A to Z Supply.com. Here are today's National Public Radio headlines. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. After four years of former President Trump's immigration crackdown, the Biden administration today announced new guidelines for immigration and customs enforcement. NPR's Joel Rose reports the guidance is expected to sharply limit arrests and deportations. In many ways, ICE agents became the face of the Trump administration's immigration crackdown. Now, those agents have been told to prioritize pressing threats to national security or public safety when they decide whom to arrest, detain, and deport. Under the new guidance, immigrants who've been convicted of aggravated felonies, such as rape and murder, are presumed to be a threat to public safety. But a host of other crimes will generally not make immigrants a priority for arrest or deportation. Immigration hardliners complain that the Biden administration is preventing ICE agents from doing their jobs, in essence, abolishing ICE without actually abolishing it. Joel Rose, NPR News, Washington. There is literally some light in the storm for millions of Texans after days without power due to harsh winter weather. However, it's also clear there is a ways to go. While some people have their power back on, Texas Public Radio's Dominic Walsh tells NPR's All Things Considered, 7 million people remain under a boil water alert. Millions of Texans are under uh, boil water notice because of water quality concerns. And that's if they can even get tap water. We've seen lots of frozen and burst pipes. And on the water utility side, frozen pumps, damaged infrastructure have affected water pressure and quality for whole regions of the state. And some cities had water treatment plants knocked offline by the power outages. Texas Public Radio's Dominic Walsh. Other states also have residents without power. Little Rock, Arkansas got 15 inches of snow in back-to-back storms, tying a 1918 record there. There's been lots of scrutiny over how police handled protests and unrest that swept cities in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd last spring. NPR's Cheryl Corley reports Chicago's inspector general now says police there failed on several fronts. Chicago's inspector general examined a 10-day period of demonstrations and unrest that included looting, destruction of property, and sometimes violent confrontations between police and others. The report says even though the challenges may have been daunting, the police and the city's response was marked by confusion and a lack of coordination. The blistering critiques at a breakdown in the police department's mass arrest practice, for example, showed how badly police were outflanked, under-equipped, and unprepared. In a statement, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot said the police department, in its own review, acknowledged where it fell short, and other cities across the country faced similar waves of protest and violence after George Floyd's death. Cheryl Corley, NPR News, Chicago. Long-term mortgage interest rates moved modestly higher last week, the average rate on a 30-year loan rising to 2%. 0.81%. On Wall Street today, the Dow was down 119 points. The Nasdaq fell 100 points. This is NPR. 
The head of the Indianapolis Museum of Art has resigned amid criticism over a job posting that noted the race of the museum's primary audience. George Hale with member station WFIU has the story. President Charles Venable's departure comes amid a growing staff revolt over an online job posting that noted the museum's, quote, traditional core white art audience. Leadership at first told employees that their point was about making sure the museum's diversity goals wouldn't alienate existing audiences. They dropped that messaging yesterday and announced Venable's departure after nearly 2,000 outside artists and stakeholders signed a letter calling to suspend funding to the museum. One was Kelly Morgan, who left her curator job last summer alleging discrimination. Staff has been pushing against this stuff internally for years, for years. Now officials say they'll conduct a review of museum leadership and culture, as well as increase programming for and by marginalized communities. For NPR News, I'm George Hale in Bloomington, Indiana. Attorneys representing the head of the Kansas City cell of the group The Proud Boys, which was involved in the January assault on the U.S. Capitol, are blaming former President Trump for the attack. They say the five weeks since the riot there have, quote, broken the fever dream. Reported leader of the Kansas City group William Cressman remains in custody as the judge weighs whether to release him. Cressman, an Army vet and sheet metal worker, faces charges of conspiracy, obstruction, and threatening to assault a federal law enforcement officer. Oil prices ended the session lower, down 62 cents a barrel to close at 60.52 a barrel. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. Winter storms across the Midwest and on the East Coast have not only impacted those regions, but they are also affecting shipments of COVID-19 vaccines, including those bound for California. San Diego County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher. We have received word that several shipments that were scheduled to arrive this week will not be arriving due to weather uh, constraints uh, that are impacting the entire country. Moderna's primary manufacturing facility is in Michigan and Pfizer's is in Massachusetts. Uh, Both of those, along with the routes from there to here, have been impacted uh, by the snow and the weather conditions we're seeing across the country. Other cities and counties across California will likely have the same issues in the coming days. Fletcher says they'll be forced to shut down some local vaccination clinics and reschedule appointments because of the delays. County health officials say that unless they get a significant increase in supply, first-dose appointments will likely be limited over the next week to 10 days. Well, California voters continue to see the coronavirus and the COVID-19 vaccine through a partisan lens. That's according to a new poll by UC Berkeley's Institute on Governmental Studies. KQED's Laura Clivens has the story. Republicans said they are less concerned about getting COVID-19 than Democrats and the overall electorate. Just 27 percent of Republicans reported being very concerned about getting the virus, compared to 68 percent of Democrats. Republicans also said they were less likely to get vaccinated than others. Republican voters reported they're less likely to support measures meant to slow the spread of COVID-19, such as local ordinances requiring face coverings in public spaces and retail stores. The majority of Democrats said they support government-provided financial support so businesses can close during the pandemic, and the majority of Republicans said businesses should be allowed to remain open. For the California Report, I'm Laura Clivens. 
In Southern California, West Hollywood is the latest addition to a growing list of California cities shutting down major streets to cars. The goal is to help local businesses during the pandemic. The city council there voted this week to close a busy roadway on weekends. It's a temporary move for now, but as KCRW's Benjamin Gottlieb reports, some city leaders have plans to make the move permanent. Pandemic-related restrictions on businesses continue to be lifted all across California as COVID-19 infection rates keep falling. But there are still plenty of limitations when it comes to operating indoors. In some cities, like West Hollywood, some businesses can take over adjacent outdoor space. But many, many, many businesses in West Hollywood don't have that opportunity. John D'Amico sits on the West Hollywood City Council, and he co-sponsored this motion, which will turn about two blocks of a main boulevard in West Hollywood into a car-free zone. The idea is to give struggling local businesses additional outdoor space and create what D'Amico calls a pop-up atmosphere. He also says county officials, including the L.A. Board of Supervisors, should get more creative to help struggling local businesses. They've been sort of uh, MIA as far as we're concerned in West Hollywood with regard to how to safely run businesses, how to be in the business of running a business, especially during a pandemic. Now, West Hollywood is not alone. Other cities have taken advantage of Southern California's weather with some similar ideas. Long Beach, for example, shut down some thoroughfares under its Open Streets program to create shopping bazaars where restaurants and retailers can have more outdoor space to sell their food and their wares. In West Hollywood, the plan is to launch this idea April 15th and let it run for about three months. Afterwards, city leaders in West Hollywood say they're going to get together and decide if it should be expanded. For the California Report, I'm Benjamin Gottlieb in Los Angeles. Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care, on the web at chcf.org voices. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone, everywhere. A new bill in the California legislature would give victims of online sexual trafficking a new tool to fight back against exploitation. KQED's Katie Orr reports, and a warning that some of the content in this story might be disturbing for some listeners. It can be a life-shattering experience. An explicit video or picture of someone uploaded and shared again and again without that person's consent. San Jose Senator Dave Cortezzi says his new bill would give victims the option to sue to force the removal of the content. This includes situations where a victim was under 18, content where a person of any age is coerced, tricked, or forced into performing a sexual act, and Uh, photos and videos that are sexual in nature and that are circulated in any way without a person's knowledge or permission. Betsy Butler is executive director of the California Women's Law Center. She says under current laws, it can be next to impossible for victims to get the content removed. We hear stories every day from survivors who have tried every legal option available to them to stop the online circulation of their sexual assault or rape. Still, their photographs continue to circulate while websites 
rake in profits from monetizing this abuse. Under this bill, offenders would have to pay $100,000 for every two hours the content remains online after it's been ordered to be removed. That amount would be doubled for victims under 18. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. Here in the Bay Area, Menlo Park-based Facebook announced this week it will block people in Australia from reading or sharing news content on its platform. From our Silicon Valley desk, KQED's Rachel Myro has more. Facebook users in Australia will not be able to access any news content, and the rest of us will not be able to access Australian news content on Facebook. This comes as the Australian Parliament prepares to debate proposed legislation that would require companies like Facebook and Google to negotiate with every news outlet whose work they feature. That is, to pay them for their content, something they do in other countries where the law requires it. Google did threaten to shut down Google News in Australia, but is already doing media deals there now, similar to those it struck in places like Germany, France, and Brazil. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro in Menlo Park. And that is the California Report for this Thursday. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. Make sure to check out and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get yours. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening and have a great rest of your day. And from UC Davis, a story published in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health suggests that poorer communities are more acutely affected by increasing temperatures than are their wealthy neighbors. Acres of asphalt parking lots, unshaded roads, dense apartment complexes, and neighborhoods with few parks have taken their toll on the poor. As climate change accelerates, low-income districts in the southwestern United States are 4 to 7 degrees hotter in Fahrenheit, on average, than wealthy neighborhoods in the same metro regions. The authors said that lower socioeconomic groups often have less access to cooled housing, cooled transportation, cooled workplaces, and cooled schools. Excess heat can cause heat stroke, exhaustion, and amplified respiratory and cardiovascular issues. The San Francisco Chronicle reported today that California's coronavirus numbers continue to show signs of improvement. The percentage of coronavirus tests that come back positive over the past seven days, a closely watched indicator for reopening the economy, has dropped to 3.5%. That's down from over 11% a month ago. Hospitalizations for coronavirus patients have dropped 38% over the last 14 days, and the rate of infection in the state has fallen to 065 meaning each infected person infects fewer than one other person. Taking a look at regional weather, in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, it's currently 45 degrees. Tonight, showers likely after 10 p.m., then mostly cloudy with a low around 40. Tomorrow will be cloudy with a 50% chance of showers and a high near 48. In the Tahoe Truckee region, current temperatures are hovering near the freezing point with a 30% chance of snow, mainly after 3 a.m. Tonight's low will be around 27. On Friday, a chance of snow before 9 a.m., then a chance of rain and snow, with snow levels rising to 6,600 feet in the afternoon. Friday's high will be near 40 degrees. For Sacramento, tonight a 30% chance of showers after 10 p.m., then mostly cloudy with a low around 48. 
Tomorrow will be cloudy, with a 30% chance of showers before 10 a.m., then gradually becoming mostly sunny, with a high near 58. Coming up next, Hospitality House's needs for the week, followed by this week's Brave Hearts. Hospitality House is a year-round emergency homeless shelter for the general homeless community in Nevada County. And since the onset of the pandemic, we've shifted into a 24-7 operation working in partnership with multiple agencies around town in a collective effort to help as many people as possible in crisis. I'm Christina Apkarian, Marketing and Development Specialist at Hospitality House, and the needs of the shelter for this week are PPE, masks, and gloves. Please keep donating these. New pillows, blanket size twin, bottle water, hand warmers, Alka-Seltzer, travel bags, backpacks, headphones and earbuds, brushes and combs, hair ties, toilet paper, wet wipes, paper towels, men and women, winter gloves, men's jeans, size 30 to 36, 8 ounce paper coffee cups, no lids or styrofoam or plastic cups needed please, women's underwear, sizes small, medium and large, men and women's sweatpants, sizes medium, large, extra large and double extra large, plastic shower curtains and attachment rings for the outreach dorms, bathroom showers. Please drop off urgent items or mail them to Utah's Place, located in Brunswick Basin, past the DMV at 1262 Stanton Way in Grass Valley. For a tax receipt, please ring the doorbell and wait for someone to come outside to assist you. We greatly appreciate the community's help at such times of uncertainty. In the words of Utah Phillips, if we all stick together, we'll all get what we need. Thank you. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts, where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. Welcome to the show. My name is William Wallace and I'm here with my co-producer Betty Louise and today we have the opportunity to sit with Chief Alex Gamelgard, the Chief of the Grass Valley Police Department. Welcome Chief. Thanks for having me. Well it's a pleasure to have you here. So in order for our folks to get to know you a little bit better, we're wondering right off the top, why law enforcement? Why did you choose this as a career? Well, that's a good question. I think maybe the career sort of found me more than I found the career. I started off my law enforcement career as a reserve officer in the city of Spokane, Washington. I was at the time attending Gonzaga University where I studied business administration. And actually I had a friend who had been a sophomore year roommate who actually had a passion for law enforcement and he asked me to come to a volunteers and policing meeting in Spokane and one thing led to another and I ended up 
being hired by them as a reserve officer. And once I started the work, I realized I really had a passion for it and that I really wanted to do it in my hometown. And so after graduating from Gonzaga, I came back to Grass Valley and, and here I am. So not only did you follow your passion, but you followed your passion to your hometown. Right, That's exactly. That's great to hear. So recently there was an article published in our local newspaper, The Union, which focused on a pilot program working with the behavioral health professionals and the homeless. Could you give us a little outline as to what that looks like? Yeah, so for us um, at the Grass Valley Police Department, we have recently started a program which is funded under BSCC, which is a state department, Board of State and Community Corrections. And that particular department issues grants and under one of their grant programs called CalVIP, California uh, Violence Intervention Program, we applied for a grant that essentially puts a non-sworn individual, somebody who's not a police officer, and in this case actually employed by the hospitality house as our partner in a police vehicle with a Grass Valley police officer, and their job is to interface with homeless individuals, really looking at their job from the premise that homeless individuals have a higher propensity to be the victims of crime and also to perpetrate crime against others. And there's a number of reasons for that which we could talk more about, but we do know that from the data. And so their job is to go further upstream in their approach to law enforcement. And instead of responding to calls when they occur, really see what we can do to interface with these folks, develop case plans, get them into treatment, give them other opportunities, housing, uh, line them up with some of the services in our community so that we can try and break the cycle of that criminality on whichever side uh, that they find themselves. And more than anything, really to look at, uh, which I think at our police department, we make a high priority anyways, but to look at the humanity first of the individual and say, how can we help these folks? Really move them on a different trajectory. That's terrific. That sounds like a, a super healthy approach and um, I hope the best for that. So I'm just curious, mm -hmm. you said, you know, there were these, there are many reasons for the mm -hmm. homeless individuals to be categorized in, right. in that way. Can you just share a little more about that? Yeah, and I think it's interesting how you use the word categorized because something that I've been talking about for a while is that I, I almost wish we would quit calling people homeless, although that is uh, maybe the manifestation of whatever is going on in their lives is that they're homeless. It's almost doing a disservice because there's so many reasons that people become homeless. Some of the most common that we experience in our work, and it may be specifically because of the type of work we do in law enforcement, but it's substance use disorder, drug abuse, and mental illness, or the co-occurring uh, conditions of both. Oftentimes, drug abuse compensating for underlying mental illness and sometimes drug abuse or substance use disorder compounding a, a mental illness or sort of um, manifesting over time because of that. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. Next, an essay by Molly Fisk. Molly Fisk, 
Observations from a Working Poet. Once upon a time, in a galaxy far, far away, I went to coffee shops in order to write. I blame this on my family of origin, who instilled in me a deep reluctance to be out of any loop within a hundred mile radius. My father had, among other things, a great sense of adventure, and even driving to the hardware store with him involved some James Bond type whipping around corners in the wrong direction and possibly an unannounced stop for ice cream. His sweet tooth, which I inherited, was famous, as he would have said, in seven Western states. One of the family mottos was, never tell a dull story. But also he had done some amazing things, like climb Mont Blanc and spend a summer backpacking the trash out of a high-altitude Colorado campground with his best friends. In college, he wasn't just on the ski team. He specialized in Nordic combined, a lethal combination of racing down those huge, awful jumps you see at the Olympics, flying into the air, and then trying to land without killing yourself, followed immediately by a cross-country ski race. As a boy, he once ran away from home, but not down the block. He followed his grandfather onto a cross-country train. Once discovered, it was too late to send him home, so he ended up in L.A. for a month accompanying this forebear, a Boston mover and shaker, to horse races and learning about betting and I'm sure much more. My father was glamorous and exciting in a Clark Gable kind of way, which is great on the big screen for 90 minutes. As usual, I digress. I was going to tell you I'm writing in a tent outside my favorite coffee shop, typing with fingerless mittens because it's freezing, and listening to people tell stories. I haven't done this in months, and I miss it so much. When I'm home, I lead my life, writing, coaching on the phone, teaching on Zoom, making the same kind of soup and doing the same stupid dishes over and over. I'm lucky to have work and shelter and most of my health, but after almost a year, it just isn't fun. I miss eavesdropping and surprises and in-person human connection, even the kind you're just watching and not a part of. You are a part of it. You're on the same planet, breathing the same air, which is, of course, the problem, those invisible droplets that might kill you. My father, as you can tell, was raised with money and privilege and was also a smart, funny charmer who usually got what he wanted. Just because he hurt a lot of people, including me, doesn't mean he wasn't also wonderful. He would have hated this mask-and-stay-home kind of life, though I can see him enjoying long hikes and selling pork belly futures over the phone at six in the morning, which is where those bets on horses got him. Even his death was dramatic. No respirators for him, by God. Other people's fathers die in their sleep or while mowing the lawn. Irving died young of his fourth heart attack at the movies, surrounded by friends. When they called out that so cinematic question, is there a doctor in the house? There were three, but no one could save him. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. 
Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our show tonight. KVMR's Evening News airs Monday through Friday from 6 to 6.30. You can hear the show again on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. KVMR wants to hear from you. Consider surfing on over to kvmr.org survey and let us know what you think. Stay tuned. Money Matters is next. And then it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman at 7 p.m. Thanks for listening. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a good evening. Thank you.